Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. I want you to think back before we roll into this episode on what your favorite fairy tale was growing up. For those of you who have children today, maybe it's what's your favorite children's book today? Because today, during this podcast, we're going to be talking about fairy tales becoming reality. I know you're like, whoa, tell me about how the frog became the prince. I want to hear more, O'Leary. Well, not that kind of fairy tale, but one that in some regards is far more important than what you've read to your kids to this point. Maybe far more important than what you heard from your parents, from your guardians, from your grandparents growing up. Because this fairy tale is not just one that's two-dimensionally beautifully illustrated in a children's book. This one was lived out and is actively being lived out by a guy you may have heard of, and if not, you will hear of this guy during this podcast. His name is Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner. For those of us who know anything about football or know anything about the old St. Louis Rams, let me say those first words loud and clear. St. Louis Rams, you know the name Kurt Warner well, and for those of you who are about to turn the channel, don't. Don't. Yes, we could spend an awful lot of time talking about his two-time NFL MVP trophies that he's received. We could talk about his Super Bowl appearances. We could talk about his trips to Disney World that he received because he won the Super Bowl. We could talk about his yards. We could talk about how he's the highest rating passer of all time in NFL history. We could talk about a whole lot of things around football. But here's the cool thing you're going to learn during this conversation. We don't spend much time talking about football. We spend almost no time talking about awards. Instead, what you're going to hear today is Kurt's humanity. You're going to hear his faithfulness. You're going to hear what he's overcome. You're going to hear how he was able to overcome it. And ultimately, you're going to be able to apply his lessons into your own life. My friends, he's going to give us a behind-the-scenes look into an unlikely path that took him through countless accolades into the Hall of Fame itself. It's a heartfelt story about family, about faith, and you're going to love it because it's going to be reminding you of what remains possible in your stories. It's one of my favorite stories, honestly, candidly, of all time. A man who in his early 20s, early 20s, was stocking shelves for minimum wage in a grocery store and how he went on to become one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but he never forgot where he came And he never forgot the importance of relationships, of loving the one in front of you, and of becoming the best version of yourself, regardless of the success that he achieved. It's an awesome episode. Before we roll right into it, here's my encouragement. Hit pause. Tell your friends to join you on this. Tell them about the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. Tell them about some of the lessons that we are learning during this divisive time as a society with the spread of COVID-19, with recessionary headwinds, with everything else we face and all the doom and gloom that seems to be on the horizon. And then you hear a story like this one. And then you imagine how do we scale stories like this one. My friends, it is possible. 
it is possible. So tell your friends, subscribe to this podcast, make your comments, review it afterwards. And I can't wait to reveal to you this story and the power of my friend and now yours. His name is Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you very much. Appreciate uh, being on. And uh, I know we've had a little correspondence over the, the years, but uh, nice to, to meet you in person and, uh, and have a chance to, to discuss life and, uh, and faith and, and all those good things uh, in person. Well, in 1999, I was a college graduate, first year out of school, and just buying into a team that had moved about five years earlier to my city called the St. Louis Rams. And one of the players that would make this team unforgettable is sitting with me right now. And what I loved most about that team wasn't the wins. It wasn't the trophy. It was the humility. It was the heart. It was the passion. It was the faithfulness. It was the joy that they and you, Kurt, modeled on and off the field. And so we'll get into football here momentarily. But man, I'm telling you, I don't think I'd have you on this show if today's episode was about football only. Your story and your life is so much more than that. It's a piece of football, but it's so rich. So I'm going to take you all the way back to southeastern Iowa take you back to the early 1970s and take you back to Gene and Sue Warner. Rather than talking about Brenda or trophies or what you're doing today, talk about growing up. Growing up was, was simple. And I think that's the, the best way to put it is we didn't have a whole lot, uh, but we also weren't in need of a whole lot. But life was simple. For me, I love sports. And so all I needed was a ball and a wall. You know, my dad being an athlete in high school, you know, that was one of the things that that we kind of gravitated and brought us closer together. And, you know, fortunately my, my parents were divorced when I was young. So, you know, grew up with my mom and my brother um, in that household, uh, you know, saw my dad, you know, early on it was occasionally, and then, you know, our relationship continued to grow stronger and stronger over the years. But, you know, the one thing that I always remember is that I love sports and it was something that allowed me to, uh, to connect and build a relationship with my dad, uh, even though time was limited. Uh, it was something that we both enjoyed. That was kind of how our relationship was built between me and my brothers and, and my father was around sports. It was just something that I gravitated to, something I was good at, something that gave me self-confidence. You're such a principled guy, such a faithful guy, such a humble guy, and such a quietly driven guy. You, you don't become a Hall of Famer unless you're radically driven. Was there a coach growing up or a pastor or a priest or a neighbor or a friend, was there someone that you looked up to and said, man, that's who I want to be. That, that's the guy that I want to imitate. When I grow up, finally, I want to be just like this person. I had some good people around me. You know, I had a high school basketball coach. Basketball was actually my first love. And he was also the assistant principal at my high school. You know, his name was Dick Breitbach and, and just an incredible man of character. And, you know, taught me so many lessons about how to carry himself and how to push yourself to be great. You know, the balance between, as you talk about, uh, that fire, but also that compassion and, mm -hmm. you know, that love and character. And, and he was a guy that kind of modeled that. You know, the idea of leadership to me is about being what your team or your followers need you to be at any given moment. It's not one cutout. This is how you lead. You know, this is what leadership always looks like. It's not like that. And, you know, he showed me that at different times that there were different ways to be able to motivate and, uh, and lead people and get people to, to be their best and play their best and want to be better than they were. 
Um, and he, he did an unbelievable job of being able to balance that between mm. all the different players and, and friends and people that he was around. And he was probably the coach, you know, through the early stages of my life that had the biggest impact on me. And I would say it was more from that standpoint than it was, you know, what he taught me or, you know, how he coached the game, the ability to tap into everyone and get the best out of mm. each and every person, even though we're all different and even though we're all motivated differently. Well, I hate to give away the ending of the story, but I think we have to. Apparently, you don't go into the NBA. You go eventually into the NFL. So although it was your first love basketball, it's not going to be who you end up marrying. You end up marrying football. At what age did you make that all-in decision to say, man, I just feel gifted in this area and I feel called to follow football? <laughs> well, I'm not sure it was either one of those. I think it was more out of necessity. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I wanted to play professional sports. You know, as I said, from an early stage, it was all about having a ball in my hand. It was all about, you know, what I could do on a court or what I could do on a field. And it just, I just felt like that was what I was born to do. And as I got through high school, you know, I just started to realize that if there was going to be a chance to continue on and possibly play at the professional level, uh, it was probably going to be in football, not basketball. Even though basketball was my first love, height limitations, uh, athletic limitations uh, were always going to catch up to me in that regard. Uh, I just knew the path was going to be football if I was going to make it professional. Kurt, I've, I've read that you weren't always into practicing football. You were more, like you mentioned, a game quarterback, and you could rock and roll under the lights. But Monday mornings weren't exactly lighting your fire back then. That's not exactly what got you out of bed early. Well, you know, the, the thing is, I don't know if I was ever a bad practice player, but I never looked at practice as being nearly as important as the games. Is, you know, I put in a lot of work and, and I would practice hard, but it wasn't something that I went into practice going, man, I need to, I need to be great today in practice. Yes. And so that was really my mindset. And then, you know, I got to college. And I ended up sitting on the bench for four years in college. I remember, you know, just thinking, man, what in the heck is going on here? Because I felt like physically I was the best guy for the job. And, you know, as we're talking about, when I was under the lights, and again, the lights, you know, is a relative term at that time. It was, you know, scrimmages and it was spring games. You know, it wasn't necessarily in the big moment. But when I was under the lights, I always performed really well. And so I couldn't figure out, okay, if I'm the most talented, and when, you know, the games are on, I, I'm better than the guy in front. Why am I not playing? You know, I had a, a friend of mine that was a little bit older on the team and had a better relationship with the coaches. So I asked him if he would go up and ask the coaches what I'm missing. Like, what, what's the problem here? Everything I see says I should be playing, yet I'm not playing. What's the problem? I remember him coming back to said to me was that you're not very good in practice. You know, I, I remember just thinking, it's kind of my mentality originally was like, seriously? not going to play me because I'm not very good in practice. And then I started to reflect on that, you know, after that moment and got to thinking about, you know, really any profession, but especially a sports profession, right? If I'm in college, I get 10 opportunities in an entire year to be under the lights. If I'm in the NFL, I get 16 opportunities to be under the lights. And so what that statement said to me was that 99% of your life, is practice. 99% yeah. of the impression that you leave on people comes from practice. And, you know, I started to think about that. And I'm like, wow, that, that's, that's so true, right? I mean, I, I don't get very many opportunities to show people who I'm going to be, to show them that they can count on me in any and every moment, to show them what, you know, what they're going to get every time I show up. I have to do it in practice. 
And it really changed my mindset, you know, towards life in general. You know, I've got seven kids. And, you know, when you're a parent, there's always the times you're going to get up on your soapbox and you're going to lecture your kids. But what I realized is that that's not nearly as powerful as what I do in everyday life, the way I live, the way I work, the way I love their mom, the way I treat them as kids, that's what impacts them. So when I do get up on the soapbox, they're willing to tune in and listen to me because they understand what goes with that. Mm. And so I just believe life is about practice. And it's the practice that really shapes us and allows us to lead when we get under the lights. And that's what I didn't understand. I became a guy as I got later in my years of playing where, man, I wanted to win every practice. Um, And it became one of those things that defined me. Well, I told you before we started recording that I was going to talk a bit about football, but probably even more about life. And so I want to talk about life now. You are a Panther. You're you and I. You are out with some friends and you meet uh, a Marine. I've done a lot of work with the Marines, Kurt Warner, and I love them Semper Fi, brother. But uh, this Marine catches your eye. Talk for a moment about your wife and what it was about Brenda that just drew you in. Well, you know, I met Brenda um, actually when I was sitting on the bench in college. And so my college roommate drug me out to a, to a country music bar. <laughs> you know, nothing that I would have ever done in my entire life. I wasn't a guy that enjoyed going out. I definitely wouldn't have gone to a country bar if I was going out. But he drug me out because I was kind of in that, you know, that mopey, depressed mode. Um, it was where I noticed Brenda for the first time. And, you know, I think what really drew me to her as I got to know her was just how different she was. You know, I was in college with a bunch of college girls that, uh, you know, had their mindset on, on things that were, were small in, in the big picture. You know, what I looked like, where I was going out, you know, can I get an A in class? I think the biggest thing about her that, that I gravitated to was that she had lived life and she was different. There, there was more substance to her than the people I was around. And if you know my, my wife's story at all, by that point, she was a divorced mother of two. Um, one of her children had suffered a traumatic brain injury when he was four months old. And so she had lived a lot of life uh, in a short period of time. When we're young, man, we are also looking at getting an A, uh, going out on the weekends. How do we look in the mirror? Stuff that we recognize, hopefully, as we age was pretty unimportant. But at the time, it is all that matters. It's all that matters. And part of that thing is trying to act like we got it together for the people around us, trying to be cool in front of the roommates or the guys on the, on the field. And I would have imagined, and tell me when I'm wrong, I would imagine that it, it doesn't seem cool to date a girl who's four or five years older than you. It doesn't seem cool to date a girl who has two children already. It doesn't seem cool to date a girl who's been through a divorce. It doesn't seem cool at all to date a girl who's got a little boy named Zachary who's got some massive challenges in front of him in his life. So talk about the mindset that allows you to just not worry about what everybody else is thinking matters. Well, I mean, I tell you, you know, everybody else thinking it, and I was probably thinking it to a degree, you know, when, when you kind of dream what your path is going to look like, and, you know, you're going to get married and have a family and do all of that. I don't think very many of us, you know, dream of why well, I'm going to marry someone that is divorced that already has kids, that that's really the plan. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with it, obviously, but it just isn't the plan. So uh, when she told me, and it was actually the first night that we had really spent some time together, she told me, I just want you to know. I'm a divorced mother of two, so if you never, if I never see you again, I completely get it. 
you know, I think there was part of me that's like, oh my gosh, run, go. Are you kidding me? This is not what you signed up for. This is not what you expected when you were doing a little country line dancing with her. But then there was the other side of it where it was like, again, I gravitated towards her. There was something depth from a depth standpoint and a character standpoint that really was kind of, you know, pulling me in. And, and I think I just really took the approach that let's just explore. I mean, I think so often we try to lay out our plans, uh, how we want them to be. And we think that's the best way that they're going to, you know, so we're just going to chase after that because that was my thought. I think fortunately for me, I, I just kind of stepped back and goes, okay, and say, I, I get it. I get what everybody's saying. I even get there's a part of me that's reserved in going through this. But I think I would be doing a disservice to myself if I didn't explore this option and I didn't explore these relationships because I don't know what the perfect plan is. And I don't know why God brings people into our life when he does um, and, and what the best plan for my life is. I don't know that, even though I think I do. I don't know. And so I think more than anything, it was just keep yourself open. And don't just shut this door because it doesn't look exactly like you thought it should look. Very early on, uh, I went over and met the kids. And that's the, the funny thing about the story is, right, my mom was a divorced mother of two, and she had to, to go through those relationships. And I saw how us two kids and, you know, as everybody always puts it, the baggage that comes with the relationship and that they're not mine and some of those things, I saw how that affected her relationships with with different men as she was trying to build another life for herself and how big of a struggle that was and so yeah, again kept the door open uh but made sure i understood some of the challenges and i addressed those challenges early so you know so i didn't do a disservice to myself or to brenda in the process and at the same time i kept the door open in case this was the path uh, that god had laid out for me so thank you for sharing all that. And I'm, I'm curious about the time as you approach that door, approach the opportunity to meet these two little guys and approach this, this moment where you meet Zachary for the first time. Describe to our listeners who may not know the story a little bit more about what happened, what the effect of that was and, and what you saw the first time you met Zachary. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think when you go into a situation like that, you know, it was you know, just really the night before when she had told me, I, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know their ages. I didn't know anything about them. All I knew is she had two kids. I really didn't know what I was stepping into. She let me into the door to her parents' house where, where she was living. And Zach came over and he just grabbed my hand. He pulled me, actually pulled me into the bathroom because, <laughs> um, you know, Zach loves music. And so he suffered the traumatic brain injury. He was legally blind. So he gravitated towards music, as you always hear, right? If one of your senses is limited, you gravitate to something else. So he loved music and he loved country music. And so they basically had a radio in, in pretty much every room in the house. But for whatever reason, he grabbed my hand and, and, he, and he took me into the bathroom and there was a radio on top of the, the toilet. And he laid down on the floor and kind of pulled me down on the floor with him. And we started listening to country music. You know, I mean, it was limited conversation because uh, Zach wasn't a, a big conversationalist. You know, but, but the two of us just kind of hanging out in the bathroom you know, it was one of those those moments where not a lot of words need to be shared. Here's a young man that just trusts people, that, you know, just wants to, to have a relationship, mm. wants to do the simplest of things. It was very easy for me after that encounter to go, okay, 
we go into it with all these apprehensions about what, uh, you know, what, what's this going to be like? And, oh, my gosh, how am I going to – and he broke down all those barriers really, really quickly and helped to open that door where I wanted to explore. You know, not only was I willing to, but I wanted to. I wanted to find out more. I wanted to hear the story. I wanted to get to know this young man better and, and what makes him tick. And, uh, you know, you could just feel his heart. Yeah, that was probably the most impactful moment of our relationship and was because that broke down everything. It's a, it's a beautiful story. And it's just one more chapter of your, of your story, Kurt. It's, it's unbelievable. You go on, we could spend a lot of time talking about college and the, the first three years that you spent on the bench. And then the final year that you really had a f- phenomenal year. You don't get drafted, but there's a lot of interest. You eventually sign with Green Bay. You don't make it out of training camp. Why not? after you you gave it the old college try man you spent years in college you, you proved that you can country line dance you got a great relationship with a great lady football just did not work out you washed out of green bay why not hang it up well i mean there there's a couple reasons i mean first and foremost i mean even to this day that if you put a football in my hand <laughs> i just feel at home I, I just feel like that was what i was created to do and so that's the one thing you can't ever underscore is that there's a lot of people that chase things because they want to, or because they want that, or they want the dream of that or the prestige of that or whatever. There were times when I got lost in that, of course, but the bottom line is what always brought me back to why I was really doing it was when I got a ball in my hands and I was between the lines and I got a chance to compete. I just, felt like I was, was different in those moments that, uh, that it was just what God had placed in my heart to do. And so that was the first part of it is that that passion and love for it was still there. And then the second part of it was, you know, I think so often in life, you know, we find ourselves in circumstances and different kinds of circumstances and something that, that I know, you know, extremely well, and something that's kind of become a motto in our family is that, We're never going to let our circumstances define us. Yeah, I sat on the bench for four years, but I did play one year. And when I played, I played really, really well. You know, and so the point being is that every time I had an opportunity, I played really, really well. And so I wasn't going to allow difficult circumstances or things that went against me circumstantially to stop me from chasing what I knew I was good at, you know, that that I never lost that self-confidence. And so you know, a lot of people, as they look at my story, they gravitate to, you know, those down moments or those moments in the valley and go, oh my gosh, he went from all of this to this up on the mountaintop. And what they miss is that, yeah, I played one year in college, but as you mentioned, player of the year in, the, in my conference. I played three years in arena football. Yeah, I know. What's arena football? I don't know. But we were, you know, in the championship game two out of three years, and I was the best quarterback in the league all three years. I played in Europe. I was the best quarterback. And so the point being is that when I got opportunities, I could play this game. And I never lost sight of that, even though circumstances may not have played into my favor. Mm. um, I think in the bottom line was I needed to know for myself that I couldn't play. No one was going to be able to say, well, you sat on the bench for four years, so you can't play. You're working in a grocery store, so you can't play. They needed to put a ball in my hands and put me between the lines and show me that I couldn't play before I was going to be willing to give it up. My circumstances were never going to define me. 
I was going to be defined by what I was love, what I loved, what I was passionate about, and what I knew I could do. I had a realist. I felt like I had a realistic, uh, you know, impression of of who I was as a person and who I was as a player, and I wasn't going to allow anybody to reshape that for me. I had to be able to shape that. And so, you know, had I got an opportunity in the NFL early on, and and I proved that I couldn't make it. You know, and I would have, and I knew that I, I couldn't play. I probably could have been, it would have been easy for me to just walk away and go, okay, I did give it the old college try and I wasn't good enough. But nobody had ever shown me that. I had never seen that for myself. And so I wasn't willing to say, well, that was enough, mm. you know, or my circumstances, well, it just didn't play out in my favor. So I guess I'm going to give it up. No, you've got to show me if this is what I want to do and what I'm passionate about show me that I can't do it. And until that point, I'm going to continue to chase it. So I'm not sitting on my couch when I'm 40 years old going, man, if I just would have stuck it out, man, I could have been this, or I never wanted to be the guy that looked back, you know, and had all these regrets about, you know, whatever, or blame someone else for, for why I wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, I needed to prove that to myself. And that was really, I think, the defining factor that, that kept me going through all those, you know, those different circumstances that I, that I went through. So you, you don't become the, the Green Bay quarterback. There's some other guy, I forget his name. Anyway, when we pass that chapter, who, who quarterbacks Green Bay for, for a couple of years, you instead find yourself working, as you mentioned, Kurt, at a grocery store, at a Hy-Vee, working the night shift stocking shelves. Minimum wage. I, I, you were making minimum wage, working right. the night, and trying to play football a little bit on the side. In the midst of this storm, I think many people know about you stocking shelves and then, oh my gosh, he, he rises up again, this, this Phoenix. I don't think though many people know that even in the midst of that storm, you got hit by literally another storm. Brenda's mom and dad are involved in a tornado in their home in Arkansas and they lose their lives. Yeah. This is 96, is that right? Right, 1996. Man, at what point does a guy who has strong faith and resolve, just say, wow, this, this just is unfair. So I'm just curious, as, as all these things are coming your way, you've got challenges in your family, you've got challenges financially, you've got challenges not living into your dream, and now you lose your future in-laws. Yeah. What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your heart? Yeah, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to that in just a second, because you hit on something that, that I think is a, a critical point when you talked about that other quarterback in Green Bay. So that other quarterback happened to be Brett Favre uh, in Green Bay. And, you know, I often tell people because, again, it's so easy to look at our circumstances when we're in those circumstances and say, why me? But, you know, going back to that moment, Brett Favre was the starting quarterback that year in Green Bay. You know, Brett Favre didn't miss a single start in the National Football League until after I retired. <laughs> so from the time that I was in training camp in 94 until – the day I retired in 2009, Brett Favre didn't miss a single start. My point being is that in my mind, I wanted to make the team, right? I wanted to be a part of the Packers. But at the same time, I would have never seen the field. I would have never played a snap. I would have been a backup guy that, that played in the preseason. So I get cut and I end up playing and becoming a different quarterback in arena and in NFL Europe and playing all these games when – Initially, I would have thought, oh, my gosh, how did I get cut and what's going to happen next? Where ultimately it became one of the greatest blessings in my life that I got cut 
because of the situation that I was in. And again, I just, I felt that was important because I think a lot of times, you know, people find themselves in those situations and we get cut and we just think, oh my gosh, why me? And that shouldn't have happened. Or what am I going to do? It ultimately became the best thing for me to get cut. And it, I believe it's what catapulted me back to being the player that I was when I got to the NFL the second time around. So, you know, to Brenda's parents in that situation. And, you know, the most interesting thing, it would have been very easily easy for me to maybe internalize the death of her parents and add it to, you know, being cut by an NFL team and working for minimum wage and doing all that things. And then this is just another thing, yeah. you know, uh, you know, for me to, to handle, to put on my shoulders. But, you know, the amazing thing was, as I was dealing with those things, I was staring at a woman who had now, you know, been divorced um, because there was unfaithfulness in her marriage, was dealing with two children, one child that suffered a traumatic brain injury, and now she had lost both of her parents in a tornado. And so there wasn't one iota in my body that said, poor, poor, pitiful Kurt. You know, poor me that I have to go through getting cut by an NFL team and working in a grocery store and trying to figure that out. I can promise you this wasn't Brenda's dream. You know, this is not how she wrote it. And I got to watch a woman that, you know, has so much courage, so much strength, so much character, uh, so much perseverance uh, on a daily basis to battle the things that she's battling. And, you know, any one of those things could have taken someone out or knocked them off of a, you know, a career path and, and sent them spiraling downward. Mm. Yet I'm seeing a woman that's taken on one thing after another, after another, and for me, it really just gave me perspective, you know, that my life's not that bad. You know, I mean, I, I'm going to be okay with, you know, these things that happen, even if I never, you know, make it to the NFL, even if my dream never comes through, I'm going to be okay. And if I can watch someone go through the life struggles that she goes through and hold on to her faith and hold on to her belief that, that, you know, next week's going to be better than this week and that life is not over, even though I've been dealt a, a, a crazy crappy hand, you know, there was just no room uh, yeah. for any pity or for, for me to, uh, you know, to shrug my shoulders and say, you know, whoa, whoa, you know, poor pitiful me. I was blessed to be uh, in a relationship with just an incredible woman that, it showed me perspective it showed me life in a different way and showed me, you know, as I said, I fell in love with her because of the substance and the character. And that's what she showed me through our relationship was that life is about substance. It's about the real stuff. I mean, the stuff, you know, that, that, you know, you have to wade through to get from one day to the next and you have to figure out how to keep pushing forward when life really hits you hard. Not when, you know, you get sidetracked on your dream or, you know, that, that thing that you've been thinking about since you were seven years old. We're talking about real life here. And I think more than anything, those crazy circumstances, the death of, of Brenda's parents uh, just gave me more perspective and more desire to live life, to live with substance, to, to figure out this faith thing that, that she had that I didn't really have to the same level to figure that out because man, I don't know how somebody gets through all that stuff without having something 
that's a little bit extra, you know, something that, you know, that you're deriving that strength from or something that can, can carry you through that. Uh, and for Brenda, it was her faith. Um, and so that was another area through that period of time that I was really drawn in, um, you know, to what this, this faith thing is really about. I, Cause I started to feel like I, you know, although I was missing a lot of things in, in, in my dream, that was another thing that I had to be missing because even though I had a faith background, man, I, I don't think I could have, you know, handled it or I wouldn't have been able to face life like she did that I knew not only was she strong, but there was this faith that she always talked about that was a driving force in her life and helping her to persevere and get through some of those things. And it was through those times that my faith was truly developed and, and I became the man that I was focused on the things that are most important, focus on the things of substance in life that would ultimately sustain me as I went on the, the rest of this journey. Kurt, how do you, for many of our listeners, they're thinking, man, he, I'm glad he's bragging on Brenda. They're <laughs> tuning in for Kurt. They hear a man of substance. They hear a man who's lit up with his faith and sure of where he came from and where he's going to. You've, you've, you found your next step, but many of us are still seeking. And we're wondering, will this situation that I'm in ever be redeemed? Will this storm that I'm struggling in, this lack of marriage, this lousy marriage, this brokenness, this storm, this, this divisiveness in our community, this whatever, will it ever be redeemed? Is there any real hope for me? So for those of us right now in that place, in that plot, <laughs> stocking shelves overnight at Hy-Vee for minimum wage and really feeling like, my gosh, there is no reason for hope, none. Where would you encourage them to turn? Like, what, what is our next step? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're right. I mean, I think we all find ourselves in those situations at different times. And, you know, we were talking, I think it was, you know, off air before we got on this, just about, you know, the whole idea is that I understand that the worst I've ever gone through feels like the worst thing ever. And so, you know, the point that you were talking about is, I care, you just got cut and you're working in a grocery store. My gosh, life was so bad. And, you know, for me, I realized when I'm looking at Brenda going, oh, hold on a sec. You know, my struggle is not as bad as their struggle. And so I think that's one thing that really helped me was to understand we all have different struggles. There's going to be other people that you encounter that have greater struggles than you, even though it might not feel like it because we only know what we know. But that was an encouragement to me as I was going through the process that God had placed somebody else in my life that was showing me, okay, you can have hope. You can get through this no matter how bad your situation is. I've been through worse. And so I think that's one thing is it, it's, it's hard to kind of look around us and find hope in the stories of other people. And so that was one place that, that I was able to look and thank God that that story was right in front of me. Obviously, I was already talking about my faith. And so, you know, from a couple different standpoints is that first and foremost, as I was developing my faith, I really opened up the Bible and started reading it for the first time. And the ironic thing, right, when you read the Bible is that's what the Bible is. The Bible is a bunch of stories of people whose dreams didn't play out like they wanted them to that found themselves in the midst of struggle time and time and time again, yet they have a book written in the Bible about them. Why? Well, because of their perseverance and their belief and their hope, coupled with a God that 
that was able to do above and beyond and able to work through the hearts and lives of, of these men and women to, to impact the world in different ways. And so I kind of had both of those things staring me in the face. Like, here's an example, a real life example. Here's a bunch of examples in this book. Here's a real life example of what faith looks like in action. Here's a book full of men and women who put their faith into action. And for me, it was like, oh my gosh, it's all around us, mm. right? Struggles are all around us. Everybody is dealing with something, you know, and most people have dealt with something. And I think there's inspiring stories left and right um, that say, yep, it's bad right now, but this circumstance will not define me. I am going to overcome it. If we look hard enough, we can find those with our next door neighbor, you know, with our, with our spouse, we can find them anywhere we want them. And then again, for me, being a man of faith and finding my faith, then that became an easy journey because I realized that's what God more than anything else is looking for. He's looking for people that basically say, I can't do this on my own, right? This is too overwhelming for me. I need you. I need your help in this journey. And that to me is, is where I've always looked when I'm dealing with different things. It doesn't become, oh, poor pitiful me. It becomes, okay, God, what are you trying to do with me here, right? What are we trying to accomplish in this situation? Because I know that's what this is all about, right? It's not just to make my life difficult. It's you're trying to impact someone through my life. And so, you know, it's funny that, you know, when I was going through this entire journey and, you know, told you from a young age, it was the dream of playing in the NFL. And so for a long part of this journey, sitting on the bench and, and being cut and working in a grocery store, you know, my mindset was, you know, even when I, I would turn to God, it would be, God, why me? Why do I have to be the one that does it? Why couldn't I be the number one draft pick like Peyton Manning and he'd be the one working in the grocery store? Why me? You know, and then I look back at it now and I see what, uh, you know, the accomplishments look like, the accomplishments look like and the success and, and the story and the impact. And I look back now and I still look up at God and I go, God, why me? Why did you choose me for this story? You know, why do I get to be the one that has a story unlike anybody else's? And, and I look at it and again, not trying to be arrogant anyway, but I look at it and go, this is a true life biblical story. It was a, a guy that was going through struggles that turned my life to God and said, God, you got to step in and, and do this. You got to step in and show me how to do this. And I watched him step in and lead me down a path that has had tremendous impact <laughs> and has had more impact probably on more people than Peyton Manning's story. And Peyton Manning is great and a better football player than I was, but doesn't have the impact of the story that I have. And so now I look up and I go, God, why me? Why did you choose me for this? I'm not complaining. Thank you for choosing me. But, but why me? The bottom line is there was nothing necessarily special about me other than that I was willing to find my faith, turn my life over to God, focus on the right things, and allow him to use me and direct me the way that he wanted to. And now, you know, and again, the reason I say this is, you know, last week I just read the latest script. Um, you know, for the big screen movie that they want to do on our lives. And so that's what I'm talking about. That's what I mean by a biblical story is that Peyton Manning was great, 
he'll probably never have a big screen movie about his life. You know, I don't know how many great players, just because they're great players, but it's the story right. that has the impact. And, uh, and, and I just sit back and, I, and I'm grateful now that God chose to use me for this journey. That life is about struggles and life is never going to be perfect. But it's not allowing those things to define you and pushing forward and allowing God to shape you and use you uniquely. That should give us all hope. The story is going to be called The American Underdog, the Kurt Warner story. And uh, I'll be first in line. Kurt, I love the fact that as we get ready to wrap up our time together, we haven't even talked about the St. Louis Rams. We haven't talked about a preseason injury to a dear friend of yours. We haven't talked about the most unlikely season, maybe in NFL, NFL history. The most shocking, as you and I began talking, I saw a Sports Illustrated cover behind you that said, who is this guy? Right. All this coming, no one, no one. Maybe you did, but nobody else saw it coming. We haven't talked about any of that. We haven't talked about the confetti falling, the trophy being elevated, and you being the MVP. We haven't talked about the Hall of Fame career. I, I think your life is so beautiful because it's beautiful even before we talk about the NFL. And I think that's what set you up to be the success you became in the in the NFL, your heart was <laughs> was tenderized, and your 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 faith was certainly vibrant before you even got that first snap as a St. Louis Ram. So, as we begin wrapping up, man, I just wanted to acknowledge a couple of the things that I think are just so cool. Oh wait, you're the Walter Payton Man of the Year, Muhammad Ali Sports Leadership Award recipient, USA Weekend as the winner of its annual Most Caring Athlete. These, these aren't the awards you win necessarily on the field. I think they're the bigger, more significant ones. 2009, Sports Illustrated hold NFL players been the best role model on and off the field. Kurt Warner was selected. 2010, Bart Starr gave his award, the great guy, to the most deserving. And the quote from Bart Starr is this, we have never given this award to anyone more deserving than Kurt Warner. Kurt, as we move toward the starting line together, not the finish line, the starting line. We have seven simple questions that tie all of our guests together. We call them the Live Inspired Seven. Sorry, before we go there, I, I, again, there's just so much we could talk about, and I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to cut you off. You, you, the, the interesting thing, like you said, is we didn't even get to what a lot of people might say is the heart of the story. And the one point that I would like to make is that, that everything leading up to what you're talking about, and a lot of those awards or whatever recognition, there was a preparation period that God took me through. And I don't want people to ever miss the idea that, you know, and I said in my Hall of Fame speech that sometimes you got to do what you got to do while you're waiting to do what you were born to do. Mm. Sometimes you got to go through a preparation period to get you ready for what God's calling you to do. And, and I really felt like the stuff we talked about was the preparation period for me. And, you know, I love the story of David and Goliath and everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, right? And, you know, the part that I love, you know, one of the parts I love the most is when King Saul is, you know, is kind of looking at David and going, what in the world makes you think that you can possibly go out there and take on this giant? Yeah, and obviously he knew God was with him. But what I love is he said, well, because when I was a shepherd, you know, there was a bear that came and I took out the bear. And then when I was with Shepard and there was a lion that came, I took out the lion. I was prepared for this. That was that giant and this was that giant. And, and you know, a lot of people will look at the success. There were so many times, as I mentioned before, you know, the one year in college or the three years in arena football or the, or the year, you know, that I played in, in Europe. 
you know, when, when you say, I don't know if you expected to, to play at that level. Yes, I did expect to play at that level because I looked at it and said, okay, yeah, the NFL, this is my giant, right? This is, this is my Goliath. But God showed me before. He prepared me before, and he showed me every time that opportunity was laid in front of me, I was able to, to slay the bear and slay the lion, and I was prepared for the next giant because of that period of time, because of the preparation. And I think that's just an important part of the process. Totally. Is we all want to skip the preparation process, right? We want to jump right to the NFL. We want to jump right to, uh, to those main moments. But we can't ever be trusted and ready to handle the great things without the true preparation period. I wanted to share that story because I have a feeling you know, anytime you do a, a podcast like this that reaches as many people as this, there's people that are in the preparation period mm. and they want to be at the destination, right? They want to be whatever you at the starting line, ready to, to run their marathon, but they're still in the preparation phase. And that preparation phase is so vital. Don't look past that to the starting line. Understand and take that seriously. Take that practice and preparation seriously so you are prepared when that gun goes off. Well, man, I wish we could drop the mic, but uh, sadly <laughs> we have seven final questions that are kind of tie this podcast up. And it's important, Kurt, because I think, um, I think what you're hinting at is not only the preparation, but the hope of where you're going next. And you talked about that on, on, on going through the adversity you face. You still had hope in your heart. And what my sense is, as we look around the community, in particular during these days, is we are losing hope, man. We are losing hope. And you remind us, oh, man, we got to have hope that tomorrow will be far better than today, an eternal lens that we view our challenges and our struggles with and make sure that we're reaching out to our brothers and sisters to recognize that we are not alone on this journey. So your story, man, I, listen, I'm a Rams fan. I love your story that everybody knows, but I think without that preparation period, it's boring. It's just another athlete who got paid pretty handsomely, held a nice trophy, has some jerseys hanging up and a lot of stories like that. There aren't a whole lot, though, of folks who've been through what you went through and came through with the humility and the joy in your heart. So, Kurt Warner, as we wrap up, my friend and my brother, question number one is, what is the best book that you have ever read? I'm going to say the Bible uh, because it's, it's impacted me more than any other book. Um, but, but I enjoy reading all kinds of different books. I didn't read a lot growing up. But I remember uh, I read one of the first books I read was a book called I Am Third uh, that was written by Gail Sayers, you know, and obviously it's a tremendous story with him and Brian Piccolo and his teammate and all that. But, you know, the whole idea is that God is first, my family and friends are second, and I am third. And so it was just, it was an impactful book for me at a young age to really gain perspective on what life is all about and where the focal points of life should be. And so, again, the Bible has been the most impactful and there's been a lot of books that have impacted me. But I think back to that book because I read it at a young age and, and I'll never forget just that phrase. I might not remember the whole story, but I remember that part of it. And I think it was something that was kind of impressed upon my heart that you're going to probably have to fight this the rest of your life. But this is how you should look at life. Look at it through God's lens first. Look at it through your family and friends lens second and then put yourself in the position of third uh, instead of vice versa, which a lot of times uh, we can get stuck doing. Mm. Man, what, what's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possess as a little boy growing up in Southeast Iowa that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? 
Wow, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. I, I would just say maybe the idea of innocence. Um, you know, that, you know, we, we live in a world now where we talked about it, the divisiveness uh, and, and the racial tensions and, and all the things that are going on. And as much as I, I want to, you know, feel like, you know, I've done a good job of, of breaking down those barriers and, and not carrying biases and prejudices through life, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest with myself as we all need to be. And unfortunately, life brings about some of those things, uh, you know, as we, as we go through life and as we have certain paths and certain journeys that we get to take. Um, and when I was a kid, um, you know, when I hear people talk about different things now and the idea of, of race and, uh, you know, being able to connect through race, uh, I just remember when I was young um, that, I, you know, I never thought about that stuff. Um, it was just about loving somebody because, they love me back, loving somebody because of what they brought to a relationship, looking forward to, to doing something with someone simply because they wanted to do something that I wanted to do or they wanted to spend time with me. Um, and just that innocence without prejudice and bias uh, would be something that I know I had when I was younger. And as always, I think we get calloused at different times because of different things. And I wish I could bring that person back and bottle it up, um, not only for me, but for a lot of people and take that into to the rest of my life. And you, you, you read my book, it's called On Fire. And in that story, I share this, this story of my little sister, Susan. She's seven years old, she's got dark hair, and she goes into a home three different times as the home is on fire, not for Barbie dolls, not for clothes, not for her wallet or purse or whatever else a little, might be on a little one's mind, but she goes back into a burning house and into the kitchen where the heat is hottest for cups of water to throw it right on my face. And so I, I set that as a context because that's what she went into the house for. And I asked this third question that you're about to hear, Kurt, and, and no one has the context of where it came from, but you, you do. You've, you've heard that story before. So the question is, if your home was on fire and Brenda and your seven are out of the home safely and all the animals are out safely and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one thing, whatever the thing is, and bring it out safely, what's that one thing that you would risk everything for? You know, it, it, you say that. I don't think I'm going back in because I've got the seven most important things in my life and, and the things that, that really matter. I'm not sure there's something in my house that carries value um, to that degree um, that, I, that I'm willing to risk everything for. If I go back in and something happens to me, I've risked those other seven, those seven kids and my wife uh, and that to me is the most important thing. So I'm not going back for any amount of money for any one possession. Uh, there's nothing in there um, that is more important than the, the nine of us being together longer. And so I know it was supposed to be a profound question of what, you know, what holds significance for me. But my significance is in those eight people that are standing outside safe and no desire to, to worry about anything else. I don't know how profound the question was. I think the answer, though, was profound. So I, I appreciate that. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a perfect day and have a long conversation with anybody living or dead, who would you want to be seated right next to? You know, again, being a man of faith, you know, I think it would be Jesus or one of his disciples. Um, you know, I think that would be fascinating with the struggles. And, and you know, because I, I think the one thing that we, the thing that's so easy to do when you read the Bible is, to look at, you know, someone like, you know, Peter and say, 
how could he ever deny Jesus? Like, come on, if I was, you know, walking with Jesus, I would never doubt. I would never, I would do any, and I think it would be a fascinating conversation uh, to, to have those conversations. Um, again, you know, Jesus would be incredible just because of the wisdom and stuff that you get. But I think it would be interesting to, to choose one of his disciples. The idea that, hey, they walked with Jesus and still had struggles. So there's no way that we can be perfect. But I think those would be fascinating conversations. Kurt, what's the best advice that you've ever received? You know, I feel like the best life advice, uh, again, you step away from faith and some of those things. But the best life advice was just never let your circumstances define you. Good or bad, highs or lows, do not let your circumstances define who you are, the possibilities, and the hope you can have for the future. Kurt, two questions left. 20 years old, you're, you and I, you're on the bench. I don't know if you've met Brenda at that point or not. I don't think you have. But what, what, what advice would you whisper into that ear of, of yourself as a 20-year-old? Um, I think it would be similar to this idea of hope and, and possibilities in the midst of, um, you know, being in the valley. Is that when you're 20 and when most things in life have, have gone in your favor, once again, I thought it was the end of the world. I thought this... It, I can't believe this. How is this possibly happening? Life can't go on because I'm sitting on the bench in football. And I think I would, you know, I would step back and go, just relax and hold on. You, you've got a long road ahead of you. And this one moment is not, you know, going to shape the rest of your life. And I, I think I would share some type of advice like that, which would have helped me deal with some of the situations that I went through a lot better and not thinking that the world was ending because I had to work in a grocery store for five fifteen hours. Like, you know, those kinds of things. And so I think I would share that, you know, same idea we talked about with hope and possibilities. And, you know, the book that I wrote all my life is called all things possible, you know, that, that I would try to, you know, encourage myself in knowing, you know, that same idea, your circumstances, this moment is not the end game no matter how good or how bad, take this moment, battle it for what it is, try to become better in it, but know there's going to be something on the other side of this. Might be even worse, right? Or, you know, it's going to be better at some point. And I would just encourage myself in that because I think there was too many moments where I hung on to some circumstance and just thought, oh my gosh, the world is ending. It's, you know, it's going to be miserable. I'm never going to amount to anything. And I missed out on, on some things that I wish I wouldn't have missed out on because of, because of that mindset. Final question for a man that I've always looked up to. His name is Kurt Warner. Kurt, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? I think it would be um, something to the regard of the way that I, that I, I loved people. That with all the accomplishments and everything, you know, that may be sitting on my mantle, that, you know, my greatest legacy was the way I loved my wife or the way I loved my kids or the way I loved my teammates or I the way I loved, you know, people around me. Um, that's what I wanted to say. I don't know if that's what it's going to say, but that's what I'm going to strive for is I want people to remember me for loving them and, and loving and having impact on their life based on that over anything else I accomplish in my entire life. So Kurt Warner, Super Bowl MVP, 
Hall of Famer, and every other accolade we could throw your way. You loved well, man. And I, I really appreciate the impact that you've had in our local community here in St. Louis, Missouri, the impact you've had around the United States and around the world, and the impact specifically you've had in my life. So you showed me at an age where I was uncomfortable sharing my faith outside of a Sunday morning service, what it looked like to be bold and authentic in it. And you continue to do so today, man. So thank you for your friendship and thank you for your, your model. Well, I appreciate you, my man. You're, do, you're doing the same thing. And I love that God takes us down different paths and different walks of life to be able to inspire and impact people. And I appreciate the way that you're doing it and the way that you're sharing your story, you know, and just, again, your faith, the love in your heart, the perseverance, the hope that you display on a daily basis. So I commend you for what you're doing. I appreciate uh, finally getting a chance to face-to-face. I appreciate the fact that uh, you've had me on and we've had a great conversation and I look forward to, to doing it again, hopefully in person next time. Look forward to it. My friends, that is Kurt Warner. I am John O'Leary and this is your day. Live Inspired.